Psalm 80 is a communal lament. This is a prayer that was meant to be prayed by the community. The call upon God in this section is for God to do something for us, that is, for the people of Israel. It is also a lament. Two-thirds of the Psalms have a portion of them that are lament. They are telling God how bad their situation is and asking God to do something about it. This does not mean, as we will see, that laments are faithless. Rather, I would argue that they are desperately faithful, for we need lament. Ellen Davis, one of my Old Testament professors, writes it this way in her Old Testament introduction book. It seems that Israel believed that the kind of prayer in which we need the most fluency is the loud groan. We get that. Romans 8 talks about the Spirit praying for us with unexpressed groans. The words, come Lord Jesus, are a groan. Dr. Davis also writes this, Sometimes the only act of faith that is possible for those who suffer is to name our desolation before God. End quote. Many of us who grew up in North American Christianity, whether it was Catholic or Baptist, Methodist or non-denominational, Southern or Northern, are uncomfortable with these ideas about lament. For we have been taught that faith is supposed to make us happy. And the preacher is talking about sad things right now. Thus, in our country, churches have popped up and exploded that make you feel good. Just think positive. Get your mind right. Where the mind goes, there goes the man, a trainer told me at a workout this week over Zoom. I was left with little question about her ideas about God. It isn't that I don't think you should have a good attitude or think positively. I do. I just don't think that it's a very sustainable way of living. I like my workout trainer telling me to have a good attitude when I'm trying to push through a tough portion of a workout. I am more doubtful about the power of positive thinking to overcome a global pandemic. There are a lot of laments in the Psalms because there are a lot of times to lament in life. And praying through these times gives us the ability to keep faith even in the midst of awful realities around us. So rather than just denying that bad things exist and that the world is evil, the Christian faith faces those things head on through the power and honesty of the cross and finds new life in Christ. What we find in this communal lament is this, brutal honesty. When we read a psalm like Psalm 80 out loud, we aren't so sure if we should be talking to God in this way. It's sort of like when we have a preschool child who is talking to another adult and revealing things about our house and family that we sort of hoped were family secrets or would just stay at home. This psalm feels inappropriate. Take verse 1. The psalmist implies that God is inattentive, absent, asleep, and will lead them to their death. Those are pretty bold claims to make of God. 
It feels like the Sunday school teacher or the nun should come up and slap us on the wrist for saying such things about God. But what is fascinating about these words is that they are in our Bible. They are Psalms, the textbook that teaches us how to pray so we can pray along with the psalmist and tell God that it feels like God is asleep and absent and isn't hearing our prayers. Have you ever felt like that? In the past few months, is there not a time where you felt like God was absent? Here's what one thing is that I want you to hear today. You can be inside the big umbrella, the big tent of faith, and feel like that. You are allowed to have doubts and questions about God. The people of Israel did all of the time. You do not have to have God all figured out in order to have faith. I would far prefer you to be honest about your walk with God or your lack of it. I would far prefer our church to be made up of doubters and skeptics who are honest than people putting on a good face and acting like everything is just fine. Israel was desperate in this song. They're likely singing this song in exile, and the refrain gets louder and more desperate each and every time that they say it. Restore us, God. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. The next time through, it adds a descriptive reminder of who God is. Restore us, God of heavenly forces. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. Then it adds the personal name for God. Restore us, Lord God of heavenly forces. Make your face shine so that we can be saved. This is a prayer of intensity. The psalmist knew that people would be repeating this refrain that we read in verses 3 and 7 and 19. They also knew that they were adding to it each and every time. This is brutal honesty before God. The people, it seems, were facing immense humility and devastation. Verse 5 accuses God of this, you fed them bread made of tears. In the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases, you put us on a diet of tears, bucket after bucket of salty tears to drink. We can picture the grief of someone who feels as if they have been eating their tears. There have been so many. God the shepherd is supposed to provide all that they need, and instead they feel like God is only providing tears to eat. Brutal honesty. The thing about these laments in the Psalms, however, is that they rarely remain hopeless. Rather, the faith expressed displays an utter dependence upon God. For here is the situation. The people are suffering amidst devastation and chaos and can still have faith. The heart of the Psalm of Lament could be found in these two words, yet God. In Psalm 80, it sounds like this. God, it feels like you are absent and asleep and not doing anything to help us. 
Yet, God, we believe that you are our shepherd and you are on the throne. Kate Bowler, who has become my go-to expert on faith amidst suffering and a wonderful example of grace, writes these words. I can live in the space of not knowing why this horrible thing is happening to me and still know I am somehow loved by God. End quote. This is what communal lament does. It speaks the words of brutal honesty to God, those words when we don't understand what we are going through and what we are feeling. And it then moves us into an utter dependence upon God. The only reason why Israel could complain and lament to God was because they first trusted God as their shepherd, as their caretaker king. For this reason, they can cry out, Restore us. Restore us is a phrase of hopeful faith. In these words, the people of Israel were pleading for three things. First, pleading for deliverance. Literally saying, God, restore us back from the exile. They're also pleading for repentance. They're saying, restore us. Cause us to return back to you, God. And they're also pleading for resurrection. Cause us to return to life where we are dead. Thus the psalmist can not only ask for restoration, but also that they would be revived in verse 18. When he writes, revive us so that we can call on your name. When we cry out to God, we are asking God to breathe life into our dead bones. We are counting on the fact that this is the God who has done this already and who will do it again. We believe in a God of, res of revival and restoration. J. Clinton McCann says it this way, In an act of faith and hope not unlike that of Psalm 80, the followers of Jesus dare to affirm that in Jesus the light of God shines, and that through Jesus we are restored and have life. Like those who prayed Psalm 80 long ago, Christians dare to see and expect the reign of God where others see only chaos and expect nothing. Hear those words again. Christians dare to see and expect the reign of God where others see only chaos and expect nothing. Friends, in order to have the faith to see the reign of God in the midst of chaos and ruin, we have to be brutally honest with God. Remember, our Savior cried out a psalm of lament, Psalm 22, hanging from the cross, which opens, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The world needs Christian people who are skilled in communal lament. The world doesn't know it needs us, but we are called to be the sort of people who can say, This is so terrible and so hard and we can sit with people in the midst of their chaos and confusion and we can also say yet God is doing a new thing this is part of what it means when we pray come Lord Jesus I want to invite you to make this phrase, come Lord Jesus, the prayer that is on your lips 
every single day of Advent. Make it a plea. Pray that you would mean it. Come, Lord Jesus. Kate Bowler has been writing weekly blessings during this pandemic. I invite you to hear this communal lament that she offers in this blessing when hope seems lost. Make it your prayer with me today. She writes, Blessed are we, with spirits starved for what is good. Allow our eyes to open to see the small sealed space where despair has isolated us, and cry out, God, help me. I can't break out of this. Please break in. Cut through the walls of this hard prison and flood it with the light of your presence. Grant me grace to pray as naturally as breathing, to release to you all that I know and think and feel, and inhale deeply the lifeblood of your goodness and strength. Blessed are we when we realize that suddenly, already, you are right here saying, Peace be with you, breathing life and hope and truth, filling everything until the walls are dissolved and we are free to move in faith again. Blessed are we who smile in the certainty that in that dark space, you were there all along. And as sure as day follows night, hope returns and faith, the evidence of things unseen. In the name of Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.